This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful good Erev Shabbos to all of you. Good to be here. And talk about the Parsha of the Week. To take a look what this Parsha has to teach us and to tell us what to do about life. Life, of course, is complicated. Life, of course, is sometimes challenging and difficult. Life can be beautiful. Life essentially is beautiful. But in order for us to understand what, in fact, the beauty of life is all about and how to deal with the difficulties and challenges that may come our way and how to understand what, in fact, our ongoing purpose and mission in life is all about, it's important, absolutely vital, to take a look at the Parsha of the Week. As the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, often taught that we have to live with the times, live with the times, the times of Torah, the weekly portion, the daily portion, and to see within the structure of the weekly and daily portion some important lessons in life, how to live. It's not only the commandments that are clearly spelled out in the Torah that in fact become the basis of our purpose and behavior, but in actual fact, it's the stories, it's the subtleties. It's sometimes between the lines that we begin to understand and have a far deeper appreciation of Torah, and as a result, life itself. And this week we read the portion of Pinchas. Pinchas is, well controversial character at the initial stages, but turns out to be one of our great heroes. It's a part of the talks to us about dividing the land, how the Jewish people who are on the threshold of coming into the promised land are told by God that in actual fact there's going to be a very involved but very precise method by which each family, each individual receive his entitled portion in the promised land. We come across the incredible story of the daughters of Tzalafchad, those great women who petitioned Moshe, who petitioned God to change the laws of inheritance so that women can be included as well. One of the first great expressions of, well, what people might call women's rights, but essentially how Torah understands women, how Torah sees women in its fullest and greatest sense with rights and all sorts of powerful abilities and elements and much to contribute equal and sometimes more so than their male counterparts. We come across the, well, story of succession. Moshe is concerned because God reminded him again that he will not come into the promised land, and therefore Moshe is concerned who will lead the people, who will take the people from the wilderness and into the promised land, because of course that would entail a huge expression of responsible leadership, the fact that individuals have to take the Jewish people into, well, what is probably at that time a pretty hostile environment, and to do battle against the inhabitants to drive them out and to ultimately divide the land. And of course, Joshua, that incredible disciple, student of Moshe, is the one who is appointed by God to fulfill that incredible leadership position and destiny. And finally, we talk about, well, the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices and the special offerings that were brought on the festivals. And as we stand back, we have to obviously ask the question, how does all of that, which seems to be, well, well, so different, so disparate, in fact, we think to ourselves, what possible connection could there be between all these various 
various elements of Torah, the stories of the daughters of Tzolavchot, the vision of the land, uh, well, the festival offerings and sacrifices, the story of uh, Pinchas. All of that is contained in one parsha, and all of that is contained in a parsha that carries the name of Pinchas. And because of that, we have to look carefully into the Parsha because therein lies the secret of understanding what in fact is the unifying factor of this Parsha. And once we understand the unifying factor, it is far easier to relate to it in a personal sort of way and see it within ourselves. Because although we too are, well, sometimes complicated creatures. We are people of mind, we are people of heart, we are people of body, we are people of spirit. We have all sorts of elements, all sorts of things that draw on us, from us, and to us, and to them. And this is why it's important to understand what, in fact, is the overall unifying dimension within the individual so that everything works works together in a symbiotic way, heart, mind, soul, body, etc., etc. Let's take a look at the story of Pinchas and begin to understand a little bit more what he did, why he did what he did, and how God responded to that particular action. Pinchas is incensed. Pinchas is angry. Pinchas is angry that one of the heads of the tribes, a leader within the Jewish community, within the Jewish people, can so brazenly behave so immorally in front of everyone, defying every single aspect of decency, of Torah law, etc., etc. And not only that, but he challenges Moshe. He says, ha, you were also married to a Midianite woman, What difference does it make how I behave? After all, it's no different than you. And of course, there is a world of difference between what Moshe did and what this particular individual, Shimi, does. But the fact remains, he is rebellious, he is brazen, he is immoral. And Pinchas comes running to Moshe with a tremendous cry, with a tremendous plea. Something must be done in order to stop this behavior because the terrible plague has already begun. The behavior of this individual was so open and so brazen, as I said before, that people began to follow and behave badly as well. And what does Moshe say? to Pinchas, Moshe says to Pinchas, let the reader of the letter bring about an action as well. In other words, what Moshe is saying to him, if in fact you are so truly passionate about how you feel that something must be done, well then go ahead and do it yourself. And the question, of course, must be asked, what was the intention of Moshe? Moshe, after all, is the leader. Moshe, after all, is the ultimate authority. Moshe, after all, is the man who has to make the decisions as how to go forward, what to do, particularly in a time of crisis, particularly in a time of challenge and difficulty. And yet, he seems to distance himself from wanting to express his leadership responsibilities and, in fact, turns to Pinchas and says, you must do it. And we go further than that. Our sages tell us something quite puzzling. When Pinchas asked him, isn't this the law, that when you are passionate about something which so disgraceful, which so affects negatively the Jewish people and Jewish behavior, 
shouldn't that person be punished with capital punishment? And our sages tell us something rather puzzling, that at that particular moment, Moshe forgot that law. Moshe actually forgot that law, and therefore he turns to Pinchas and says, well, if you feel strongly, then you must do something about it. And the question is, how is it possible that Moshe, who is the ultimate servant of God, the most perfect of individuals, the one who is in heaven again and again in order to receive the Torah, to bring down the Torah, to deliver and teach the Torah to the Jewish people, at that critical moment, he forgets of very important law and therefore has to turn to Pinchas and tells Pinchas, you must do what you have to do. And in actual fact, when we think about it, it's not simple at all, because Moshe is not the sort of individual who forgets what in fact the ruling is. Moshe is not that sort of person who simply, well, I forgot the law. That's not the way Moshe is. That's not the way Moshe works. And our commentaries point out something which is quite brilliant, something which is quite illuminating, and it begins to give us insight into this whole story, into the, well, the position of Moshe, what he demands from Pinchas, and how Pinchas responds as well. And what in fact is being told to Pinchas by Moshe is that this whole situation is there in order to give you the opportunity of rising to a level of greatness of leadership. Moshe forgets the law. He purposely forgets the law. By divine intervention, he forgets the law in order to allow Pinchas to become the individual, the hero, the great person that he could and should. This is an important lesson and something that we'll be talking about throughout the Parsha again and again and again, that sometimes the ultimate act of leadership is there in order to hide that leadership dimension to give someone else the opportunity of rising to a position of greatness and heroism. This is something which is important to understand. Leadership is not only acting all the time. Leadership sometimes means hiding the fact that you have that ability so that someone else in a lesser position can rise to a position of greatness. But more of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. Pinchas, of course, rises to the occasion. He becomes the great hero. He does what he does, and although the tribe of Shimon are quite angry with him, nonetheless, God says, this individual has avenged me. This individual has come me, says God. This individual has stopped the plague against the Jewish people. This individual will be given the ultimate gift of British Shalom, my covenant of peace, the idea of divine covenant of peace given to a man that we would have thought should not be given a covenant of peace. After all, what he did appeared to be an act of violence, but nonetheless, it was not. It was something that was absolutely necessary for the moment. But before we continue with the idea of Pinchas and what he does and the lesson that's there to teach us, a word or two, we're talking about Pinchas, we're talking about heroic act, we're talking about Moshe as well, that strangely he forgets the law at this particular moment, and as I mentioned earlier on, he didn't forget the law. This was by direct divine 
divine intervention in order to allow Pinchas to take the lead, to stand up, and to do what had to be done in the eyes of all of Israel. And as I said before, sometimes the greatest act of leadership is when leadership steps aside in order to allow someone else to take the center court, to take the central action, to become the hero, the leader of a moment. And as you've heard me say over the years many, many times, the greatest thing of leadership is to create a sense of leadership in others. It's not only to create followers. It's not only to lead with distinction and with devotion and with compassion and with care and with love. It's not only to stand and to guide people through good and difficult times, leadership is there in order to pinpoint, to isolate, to show individuals that they possess the quality of leadership as well, so that when the moment comes, each and every single individual can take that inner strength, that inner gift, that inner power of leadership that each and every one of us possesses, and to use it, use it correctly for one's benefit, for the benefit of others, in fact, for the benefit of the entire Jewish people. And this is precisely what happened at this particular moment. Moshe forgets the law so that Pinchas can rise to the occasion, and so he does, and he is given the ultimate gift of British Shalom, the divine gift of the covenant of peace. And this is something which is so important for us to understand as parents, as teachers, as friends, as anything. We have to lead, but at the same time, to at all times remember that leadership means bringing out the quality of leadership within each and every single individual that we encounter, because each and every single individual possesses that ability, and it's up to us, each and every one of us, to draw it out from within ourselves and help others draw it out from within themselves as well. And this story continues throughout the entire Parsha. After all, take the story of succession. Moshe is concerned. He was just told by God that he will not enter the promised land. He will not lead the Jewish people to their ultimate destination. He will remain in the wilderness. He will remain in the desert. And what's the response of Moshe? What is the immediate response of Moshe? Does he say, it's not fair? Does he shout out and scream, well, after all, I was so perfect. I was so good at all other times. This was the only instance, the only flaw, the only mistake mistake that I make. Why do you have to punish me in this sort of way? Is this what Moshe says? No, it's not. This is not what Moshe says. What does Moshe say? I don't want my people to remain on their own without a leader. I can't allow, so to speak, my flocks, my sheep to be without a shepherd. It's vital. It's necessary. It's absolutely important that you, God, appoint another leader now so that the Jewish people can be led, the children of Israel can be led into the promised land with a sense of clear direction, someone at the helm, someone leading them, someone taking them into the promised land and leading them through times of great difficulty because there will be times of great difficulty. They went into war for seven years, and seven years is a long time time to be at war. You needed a leader. You need a leader. 
in order to take the Jewish people across the threshold from the wilderness into the promised land, not only physically walking across the Jordan from the wilderness into the promised land, but spiritually as well, leaving this spiritual haven, this holy place, this holy environment where where they were protected for 40 years and given sustenance from heaven, water from heaven, protected by the clouds. They were in a state of spiritual ecstasy. Now they have to come into a physical reality. You need a leader of great importance. That was the response of Moshe. Moshe is more concerned right at this moment when he is told that he cannot come into the promised land. His essential concern, his major concern, his primary concern is who will be the leader that will take the Jewish people, the children of Israel, into the promised land. Now, that's what leadership is all about, because very often, in terms of succession of leadership, you don't see that clearly. Leaders often leave their position of leadership reluctantly, sometimes not at all. Sometimes they have to be dragged out. Sometimes, after they have fulfilled their particular mission of leadership, it is very difficult for them to hand over the reins of leadership to others. And here we see an incredible aspect of Moshe's leadership when he is told he will not be the leader to take them into the promised land. His immediate essential response to God is who, in fact, will lead them, who, in fact, will take the Jewish people by the hand and bring them into the promised land. And God says, it will be Joshua. Joshua is the one who stood at your side. Joshua is your disciple. Joshua is the one who never left your tent. Joshua is the one who at all times showed a tremendous dedication and commitment and loyalty to you. And this is what he has learned from you. He has taken from you tremendous abilities and gifts, and therefore he will be the one to lead. And here, too, we see the greatness of Moshe's leadership. Because as mentioned before, and necessary to mention again and again, leadership is not only leading, but leadership is also knowing when to step aside from leadership in order to allow others to take on the mantle of responsibility and leadership. Just as in the story of Pinchas, Moshe forgets the law in order to allow Pinchas to achieve that level of greatness in his life, to become a leader, to take the moment, to use the action, to become a priest, to become a Kohen, to receive the gift of divine covenant of peace. So too with the story of Joshua. Instead of Moshe turning to God in complaint, and he would be justified in doing that, because after all, Moshe is the perfect individual. Moshe is the one who is totally committed at all times to the law of God, to his position of responsibility. But nonetheless, this is not of concern right now. What is of concern is who will take over. This is Moshe's concern. Who will take over the mantle of leadership. And then we come to the strange but wonderful story of, well, the daughters of Tzalafchad. Tzalafchad was a man who unfortunately died as a result of having sinned publicly, but nonetheless he had no sons, and according to the laws of inheritance at that particular point in time, only male offspring, only male children, 
could receive an inheritance. And the daughters of Tzalafot come to Moshe and say, it's not fair. Why should our family, our father, be excluded? He was one of the people who deserved to receive a portion in the promised land. He was not part of that whole plan of the spies. He died as a result of a personal unfortunate sin, but nonetheless, he was always committed and devoted to the idea of coming into the promised land. And because he has no sons, is that reason why he should be forgotten? Can't we, in fact, become the inheritors? And what happens at that particular time? Moshe turns to God. He takes their overture. He takes their question and brings it before the Almighty himself. Why couldn't he rule? Why was it necessary for Moshe to turn to God? And the answer, of course, is, again, strangely enough, well, not coincidence, but certainly strangely, he forgot the law at that particular moment. And the reason he forgot the law is in order to allow the daughters of Tzalafchot to achieve that great prestigious position in Jewish life and Torah life to have been the ones to make an overture to the Almighty who introduces a new dimension of Jewish law, to give these women the opportunity of becoming Torah leaders in their own right, of becoming individuals who stand up and as a result of their incredible passion and the love for the land and the desire to ensure that their father's legacy will not be forgotten, that he will be given a portion, Moshe forgets again. He again forgets the law. Not because he forgets the law, but this is divine intervention. This again is a story of how leadership has to stand aside. Moshe could have, well, he could have ruled. He could have initially brought the law. After all, it was within the context of Torah situation. But no, he allows the daughters, those great women, to come before him and to make an overture. And he takes that incredible request to God. And God says, the daughters of Tzalachad are in fact just in their request and therefore it will be granted and the law is changed and as I said earlier on this is something which speaks about well women's rights from a Torah perspective and that time it was unthinkable that a woman would have such rights to become an inheritor to receive that portion from their father's estate but the answer of course is that Torah looks at women with a tremendous tremendous sense of equality and strength different? Yes, men and women are different. And while, of course, we live in a world today where people are desperately trying to remove that difference and bring in all sorts of insane and crazy laws that talk to us about, well, there is no difference. It's all the same. There is no gender difference. Nonsense. There is infinite and profound and total gender difference. But nonetheless, it's equal, and nonetheless, women have the same rights as men in every sense. And although their duties and responsibilities are different, the responsibilities of men and women are different. Nonetheless, the rights, the essential rights of women are not only protected by Torah, they're celebrated by Torah. And not only are they celebrated by Torah, but Torah gives women that incredible, prestigious position of being the ones who come before Hashem through Moshe and receive this incredible ruling, the change in the laws of inheritance. More of that soon. 
This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the idea of leadership and how leadership's greatest sometimes act is to distance oneself from a revealed position of leadership in order to allow others to come to the fore. We see that in the story of Pinchas. We see that in the story of succession when God tells Moshe he will not lead the Jewish people into the promised land and therefore Moshe says, who will? He is concerned who will be the next leader. And also with the daughters of Tzolavchad where they come to Moshe with a tremendous plea in order to allow them to participate take as inheritors in their father's legacy and estate, and Moshe gives them the opportunity of being the ones who introduce this important law into Torah. He gives them the power of leadership as well. But before we continue with that, a word from the marketplace. We're talking about Moshe, talking about leadership. We're talking about the idea of leadership removing itself from an obvious role of leadership in order to allow others to come to the fore. And we see that throughout the entire Parsha. Every single story reflects that idea. And all of this comes together at a time that the Jewish people are standing on the threshold of coming into the Promised Land. The Jewish people are right there at the Jordan. They only have to fight against the Midianites, and then ultimately they will march triumphantly into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. And this, of course, reminds us of the tremendous responsibility of individual leadership in order to cross the Jordan, in order to come into the promised land, in order to fulfill the ultimate desire, purpose of the Jewish people to come to the promised land. And hopefully this was a forerunner to the ultimate expression of total liberation that will be there with the coming of Mashiach. It is necessary for each and every single one of us to exercise that incredible dimension of leadership that we possess. And coming into the promised land in this week's parsha, of course, coincides with the first of the three weeks of mourning. It is, after all, the first of the three weeks, the time that we tragically have to recall and remember the destruction of Jerusalem, destruction of the temple, the exile of the people, the Jewish people losing that privilege and right in order to occupy the land because they forgot to be the type of individual and personal leaderships with leaders within their own lives. And this is why, of course, the beautiful music that Craig has chosen for us today is the wonderful a cappella music. It's voice only, the, no instruments, because this is a time of semi-morning, and we don't listen to music at this time, but we can listen to voice music. Nonetheless, this is a time that we have to remember. If we stand on the threshold of liberation, are we exercising leadership qualities within ourselves? Do we have the capacity of drawing out? You know, very often we say to ourselves, well, why isn't something done? Why doesn't so-and-so do it? Why doesn't that individual do it? That individual is the obvious leader. That individual is obviously in a position of strength and power, and therefore they, they, they have to do it. It has to be reflective. We have to look at ourselves and within ourselves and recognize that incredible capacity for being a leader in the fullest sense of the word in order to somehow rise to the occasion that we are deserving of receiving the land in the fullest possible sense, in the most perfect sense, ultimately, of course, with the coming of Mashiach, it requires our 
personal leadership. And this is why there is, during this time, a removal of obvious leadership. It is the time of the three weeks. It is a time that we are, in a sense, in a semi-state of mourning. We recall exile. We recall destruction. And it's not there for the purpose of punishment. It's not there in order for us to weep and remember tragically the tragedies of the past. Of course, it's that as well. But it's also there to encourage each and every one of us to rise to the occasion and become a leader. And how do we do this? This comes at the end of the Parsha. The end of the Parsha, when we talk about the daily sacrifices in the temple, and we talk about the additional, the Musaf, the additional sacrifices on Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh and the various Yemim Tovim festivals throughout the year. What is that all about? What that is all about is a constant reminder that each and every single day we have to do an act of self-sacrifice. Each and every single day we have to do something which is not comfortable for us to do in order for us to receive that ultimate blessing of destroying the three weeks and bringing about a total transformation from tragedy and suffering to joy and celebration from exile into return, from destruction into rebuilding from the absence of a temple to the great presence of a temple, the coming of Mashiach, in order for us to achieve something like that. It is vital, it is necessary for each and every one of us to do something which is, well, by dimension, relatively speaking, heroic in our own lives. The Korban Tamid constantly, every single day to bring that sacrifice. It might be simple things. It might be saying hello to someone that we normally don't. It might be simply changing slight and small areas of life that we tend to ignore and overlook something that we don't take as seriously as we should. But each and every single day, we have to find something. And the best indicator of what that something is, it's something that we don't want to do. And each and every one of us has a long list of things that we don't want to do. We convince ourselves we can't. We convince ourselves that we won't. We convince ourselves that, well, it's not really important. But when we take a list, a look at that list, of the things that we don't want to do, those are the heroic leadership acts that bring out from within us a new dimension of greatness, similar to Pinchas, similar to the daughters of Salafat, similar to the idea of Joshua. We become leaders. A leader doesn't necessarily mean that you stand on the high platform and shout to the world and lead necessarily with all the drama that a leader normally has. It can be quiet. It can be within a smaller dimension, but it's there nonetheless. This is the Korban Tamid. And from time to time on Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh, on the festivals, we add to that. We don't do the normal, daily, heroic act. We do something extraordinary, something greater that propels us even to far greater dimensions of inner leadership within ourselves, within our families, within our social circle, within the environment that we live. And this is why when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to this Parsha carefully. It's a Parsha that talks to us. It's there to bring out from within us the greatest gift that we have in order to be leaders. Even Moshe, Moshe forgets the law, not once but twice in one Parsha. Moshe is concerned about succession, who will take over as a leader. 
We are standing on the threshold of great promise. We are standing on the threshold of coming into the promised land with the coming of Mashiach. All it takes is for each and every one of us on a daily basis, as mentioned before, to every day, do an act of leadership, even quiet leadership, even leadership that will be seen only by us, but to do something that carries with it a dimension of heroic action. It's a wonderful Parsha. Listen to it carefully and move to a higher level, to a greater level. Good job.